The word of the Lord from the last part of the gospel lesson, Jesus said, The kingdom of heaven is like a man going on a journey when he leaves, when he leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus. Those of you gathered here this morning, those joining us through the internet or through our cable broadcast, I don't know if it's every preacher's dream, but it is mine to be able to quote the Lord Jesus and to say to those here this morning, stay awake. (laughs) You know, he said it about five times in that section, so there must be something to it. Stay awake. Do you know what three weeks from today is? It's the 21st of December, which means it's the second anniversary of the end of the world. Did you know that? Do you remember that back two years ago? The Mayan calendar was running out and and that was going to be the end, wasn't it? Today we get to talk about the end of the world. Now I know last week we talked about the end of the world in connection with the last Sunday of our church year. And we saw that picture of the judgment that Jesus gives us, the sheep separated from the goats, and eventually to go into eternal life. But as we begin a new church year, the season of Advent, we begin by talking about the end once more, the end of the world. Jesus is talking and he says, nobody knows when that's going to be. Isn't that fascinating? That even Jesus, who is true God, 100%, and yet in the mystery of the Trinity, which we will never understand, he is able to say to his followers, no one, not even the Son, knows when that day or hour will be. It's like a man going on a journey who puts his servants in charge of things and tells them to do their work. And that's what we get to focus on today. The work of a servant. What kind of a servant are you to be? You see, you've come to know the gospel. You know the good news of Jesus. He died for you. He paid the price for your sins. Your eternity is certain. You are a sheep, not because of what you've accomplished or or the good that you've done, but because he has adopted you as his own and his blood has cleansed you from every sin. We are going to heaven. Now what? Now there may come a point in our lives where we might be like the prophet Isaiah who in our Old Testament lesson said today basically, Lord, I'm ready now. Why don't you take me home? Why don't you rend the heavens, tear apart the clouds like you promised and come down and bring an end to this evil world with all of its sins and sufferings. Let's just all get to heaven now. It's a powerful sentiment. And depending on where we are in our lives, we may feel that more than at other times. But as much as that is a valid prayer, to say, Lord, just take me home, it's perfectly fine to pray. As long as in the same prayer we also say, Lord, but if it's not your will, then show me 
the work you have for me to do. That prayer that's been in our bulletin worship folder at times and and kind of has served as a theme in our Reaching for Tomorrow campaign, that's what it's all about. Lord, show me what you want to do through me to accomplish your will for our church. That's what we get to do as servants. And in doing so, I promise that we would take a look at one of those servants again, revisit Martin Luther, who we talked about last week, as having come to that point in his life where he realized that the gospel of Jesus had set him free. Let's see what kind of a servant Martin Luther was in terms of if he was one that fell asleep or if he's one that did the work that God had placed before him. Well, you may know that in the city of Wittenberg, where he was at the time, at the end of this street on a day on that October 31st, almost 500 years ago, he made the trip with 95 theses in hand, and he pounded them on the doors of that church. No, those aren't the actual doors. They burned a short time after Luther's time. But those are bronze doors to remember, but that's where it happened. And in so doing... Luther was able to take that good news of what he had experienced, the assurance that he was going to heaven, and want to share that with others. And he did so by pounding these proclamations, and from that point on, opening up a discussion within the church so that others would come to know the truth. But that got him into trouble with the church and even with the emperor. In 1521, he had to stand at what was called the Diet of Worms. If you say it, worms, it just sounds funny to say a Diet of Worms. I know. But there he stood before the emperor and representatives of the pope, and they told him, you must recant. Take back what you've written that is so critical of the church. And this statue, this memorial in Worms remembers that. And it was only by the grace of God where he was able to stand there in the power of the Holy Spirit and say, unless Scripture convinces me that what I have written is wrong, I cannot and I will not recant. Here I stand. May God help me. Well, that got him into even more trouble. For not only was he excommunicated, He was a marked man. People, anyone could do harm to him without any protection of the empire. But fortunately, he had some friends that were kind enough to kidnap him and house him away at this structure called the Wartburg Castle there in Eisenach. And there he had to stay secluded, people thinking that he had been killed or or captured so that the pressure would be kind of off on him. He could have sat there and complained, and he did do some of that, that he was in seclusion and all of that, but he did not stay idle. No, he wanted people to know the truth, and so the gifts of language that he had been gifted with and his academic abilities, he translated. He took that Greek and the Hebrew of the originals, and he translated it into the common German language. First of all, the New Testament, and then eventually the Old Testament so that people could read for themselves that they were not goats, so to speak, 
that they were God's sheep by grace in Jesus Christ. But that was not the end. Once he came out of the Wartburg, he went back to Wittenberg, was a professor there, gave countless lectures at the university, and he preached. This is St. Mary's Church, the town church. And he preached probably over 2,000 sermons there. And he held dialogues and discussions and debates and so forth, all in an attempt to help people know and understand God's love for them. But as you might recall, he had started out as a, as a Catholic monk, as a priest, and was single. But God changed that too. And so he met uh, a runaway nun named Katie Von Bora. Now, I know, I know, she kind of carries that stereotypical German look. She looks kind of stiff, doesn't she? But really, once you got to know her, I'm sure she was, became much more of a, a, of a character, a personality. But he and Katie had six kids. They were given the closed-down Augustinian monastery in Wittenberg as their house. And so Luther was one of the wealthiest landowners in Wittenberg. And Katie ran that whole operation. And they were busy all the time. Not a waking moment were they idle, I don't think. And so he hosted people and guests came from all over to discuss the ideas and the truths of the Reformation and, and so on and so forth. He kept so active. Not to mention all the different hymns that he wrote. The small catechism, large catechism, and so forth. And if you want to get an idea of what all he wrote, wrote and accomplished, there are Luther's works. If you want to start reading, you go right ahead. They're all there. Now, let's dispel any myths about the fact that Luther was a, quote, saint in that sense of the word. He was not. He was the first one to tell you how much he was always a sinner. He said things that he shouldn't have. He wrote things that he shouldn't have. He was sinful. And as Lutherans, we do not pledge blind allegiance to everything of Martin Luther. But at the same time, by the grace of God, we recognize that God used him at a critical point in history to accomplish some incredible things so that the truth of the Reformation would be carried on the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ dying and rising again, and that we are God's people. And so now here we are. What are we to do? What job is it that God has put in your life so that is his servant, you can work on that while he's, quote, away? Well, that's kind of the $64,000 question, if you will, isn't it? On the one hand, it's so simple. Well, do what God calls you to do. But at the same time, it's so complicated. Well, what is he calling me to do? How do I know? And so we have to take into so many factors, like who we are, what our personality is like, what gifts and abilities he's given to us, why uh, we are here at this point in time. What resources do we have access to? What are our responsibilities? And um, so many things. And so we wrestle with it. And we pray. And we talk with others. 
You know, one thing in church that we often lift up is, is the need that in our church there is a need for professional, full-time church workers, pastors, teachers, and, and all the others. And we pray for that. And yet at the same time, like Luther, we recognize that's not everybody. Certainly. And that's why Luther had such a strong understanding of the concept of vocation. That whatever it is you do, that you make your living at or that you spend your time at, you do that to the best of your ability. In his language, it would be like whether you're a ditch digger or a baker or a peasant or a king or a prince, you do it all to the glory of God. In our language today, just think of this worship service. It would be like saying whether you're a girls of grace in the fourth grade, whether you're in the men's choir, whether you play the organ, whether you run a video camera, whether you greet at the doors or hand out bulletins or usher or serve as a service coordinator, whatever it is you do, you do it all to the glory of God, recognizing that this is the work that God has given you at this point. But still, it's not always easy to determine. And that's why we do ask for help. Sometimes we can kind of get lost along the way. We kind of lose sight of that. And my wife and I experienced that a few times in Germany in that privileged trip that we had to be there. And so since I don't speak any German, I just have to go up to people and just kind of, you know, I'd, I'd said a lot of Ich nix Deutsch quite a bit in, um, in Germany. But most of them spoke a lot more English than I did German, so they helped out. But every so often you'd run into somebody who really can't help you, but it just takes you a while to figure that out. You know, <laughs> they say they're hard-headed Germans and stuff, and, and I did find that to be true at some times. But, but then you, you figure out, you know, you can maybe witness to people and so forth, and some people are so receptive, and again, some of that stiff personality of the Germans showed through. And then those that you want to get help from that are paid to give you help. You know, the civil servants, you know, you'd think they would at least assist you, but it was like falling on deaf ears, all my... But you know, by God's grace, we made it through. And by God's grace, He does guide us into what our work is at any given point in our lives. And it was a privilege to meet somebody in Germany who does know what the work that he has that God has given to him. This is Reverend David Mossman, and he uh, works for our Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, and he is the director of what's called the Wittenberg Project, and that's what's being worked on there. It's a building that our Lutheran Church obtained uh, several years ago. It dates back to the 1500s. It was an old Latin school, but we are now in the process of renovating it in an anticipation of the 500th anniversary where, uh, of Martin Luther's Reformation in 1517. There is expected to be literally hundreds of thousands of visitors coming into the little town of Wittenberg. And this building will serve as a gospel outreach center where the truth of the gospel, which is so needed throughout the world, especially in Germany of all places, can be shared. And it will also serve as a place where students can come and, and stay at this facility while they study at university in connection with the study abroad programs and so forth. But all of it in the... In the uh, efforts to spread the good news. And so uh, our church has challenged all of our congregations. That's that St. Mary's Church where Luther preached. It's literally right next door. It's right there. 
But our church challenged all our congregations in our synod to say, can you at least contribute $500 for the, in honor of the 500th anniversary of, the, of Wittenberg and, and Reformation? And so we took that challenge actually to our day school students in our chapel offerings for the month of October. And you talk about doing the work that God calls you to do even in small ways. Whether it's the dimes or the quarters or the dollar bills that those students put in their offering envelopes for chapel in October, they donated and we have given as an offering to the Wittenberg Project, that which serves as our St. Lawrence, if you will, effort, but over $800 that they donated. Because that's what they were moved to do. Because you see, Jesus is giving us work to do. And he says, stay alert. He says, don't fall asleep, but be ready. Do the work that I give to you. And what a joy it is. What a privilege it is. And we see people like Luther who did so much. And we see people like our students who give what seems to be so little, but it's all that God calls us to do. And so we live as his servants until he comes again. In Jesus' name, amen.